the title of my message is Weapons of Warfare. Weapons of Warfare. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 and the armor of God, the weapons that God has given us. You know, life often is a battle. It, we're, it feels like there's so many battles all around us. It is difficult. It is hard. It is tough. And God has given us and equipped us with resources, with tools, with weapons to be able to be equipped with, to be able to withstand the battle that we're in, but also to win, to win in the battle, to be able to experience victory in our lives. And so as we look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, I'm aware some of you may be saying, you know what, I've heard all that before. I'm familiar with that. But you know, true wisdom is not only hearing and knowing, but it's actually putting into practice that which you have heard and actually applying that which you know. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, who everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so as we jump into this and we look at the weapons of warfare that God has given us, as 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, they are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You may be experiencing a stronghold. You may be going through a difficulty in your life right now and a hardship that it just feels like you're stuck in a rut. It just feels like you're being overwhelmed on every side. Maybe it just feels like you trying to get through the day is just being like a grind. It is difficult. Well, today I'm praying that you will be able to receive these weapons of warfare, that you'll be able to use them and to put them into practice so that you can have your life built in the foundation of Jesus Christ, that you have him as the one who is the Lord and Savior of your life and you're experiencing that in your daily life. So as we look at this and jump in, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. This is Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And these are his final words to them in chapter 6. And he begins in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is a schemer. He is crafty. He is cunning. Verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is, who is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the devil and his demons. He's talking about the demonic force that rules the earth, who has but one goal, which is to steal, kill, and destroy, which is to attack the Christian and hinder the advancement of the church. Verse 13 says, therefore, with this in mind, with the devil as a schemer, with the powers and rulers of the, of the earth from a dark force, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Interesting, it says, when the day of evil comes, not if, not maybe, but when, we must realize that we face an adversary. 
an enemy who is out to restrict us, to hinder us, to trip us up and to stop us from living the life that God intends for us, to rather to be restricted in and be consumed with fear and anxiety and guilt and shame and bitterness and giving into temptation rather than stepping into the freedom and the liberty and the hope and the peace that Jesus has for us. So what do we do? How do we prepare ourselves for the life that we're living, from the attacks that we're facing, from when the day of evil comes? How do we get ready in order to stand our ground? Here we see that God has given us resources. He's given us weapons and strategies. He's given us and equipped with us tools to live by to be able to win against the attacks, the schemes, the struggles, and the strategies of the enemy. And here we see the writer Paul, he was originally a Hebrew, a Hebrew man with a, was also a, a Roman citizen. And he grew up in Israel. And while at the time that it was under Roman authority, so he was quite familiar with Roman rule. He was quite familiar with the traditions and the cultural customs of the Roman Empire. And, you know, Paul, he, he grew up to be a, a man who actually was zealous for the Lord. In fact, he attacked the Christian church. He was known as Saul, and then he had a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus literally changed his life and changed his name, gave him a new name, a new identity as Paul. Paul was then what became a church planter. He became a preacher of the gospel, and he began traveling around Europe and Asia Minor preaching the gospel. But Paul's dream, his heart, his desire, was to always be able to go back to his ancestral home of Rome to be able to bring the gospel that had changed his life to his people. And so he got to fulfill his dream, but little did he know that the day that when he would go there and preach the gospel, that he would be imprisoned for doing so. He was imprisoned by the Roman Empire. And so while he was in prison, in fact, these words in which we're reading today, it is believed that he is writing these words while he's in prison in Rome. At this time, he would have been... um, under chain and and chained up to a Roman guard who would have been wearing a full armor, the full centurion armor that you may have seen in pictures or in movies. And he would have become quite familiar with the armory that was used by Roman soldiers. And so when he's writing this and he's talking about the spiritual battles we face, he's talking about the attack of the enemy, he uses the armor as an illustration to illustrate for us physically how we can be equipped spiritually. That he's not literally talking about an an armor that we put on, but he's talking about a spiritual armor, being spiritually equipped with the tools and resources that God has given us. So he begins with our very first weapon of warfare in verse 14. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now a soldier in the first century would prepare themselves by putting on a large tunic, almost like a dress. So they'd be wearing the dress and then they would take the belt and they would buckle around their waist to cinch up all of the loose tunic and then the armor would be put on and everything would be connected to the belt. The belt was the center. The belt was the very thing that was keeping them from being hindered. So as you can imagine, you know, fighting in a dress in battle when you're trying to fight, not only would it be difficult to do so, but can you imagine 
when the wind comes and everything is blown and everything is shown, we can see that this, this belt is important. It is central not only to the armory, but central to the soldier's ability to be able to fight. You see, the belt of truth is one that should be the center of our faith. It should be at the forefront of our mind. And what it does is it removes any hindrances. You see, we may have a relationship and faith in Jesus Christ and be passionate about him, but then we're faced with different doctrines, different theologies. We may be faced with some uh, liberal mindsets that challenge um, the word of God and maybe they become, you know, quite logical and they be quite come, well, I can understand that and therefore we may be hindered, we may be tripped up, we may give in to those thoughts because we haven't got the belt of truth wrapped around our waist. Where do we receive the truth from? It's from the Word of God. We need to have the Word of God be wrapped in the Word of God, know the Word of God, have our, our theology so that therefore when we hear certain false truths like this, no, hell doesn't exist. God is a God of love. At the end of days, it's all going to come together. And how could a God of love ever send people to hell? It sounds quite logical, but it is not true. How about, you know, what the Bible says? You know, that's, that's the old days. That was written for those days. It doesn't really mean and interpret it different for today. That means that you can sleep around or you can live with someone before you're married. Again, that's a false truth. Maybe some truths that we may even believe within the church is you're sick, so God isn't happy with you. You're poor, experiencing financial hardship, well, God doesn't want to bless you right now. Or how about God will only love you if you do good and you read your Bible and you follow these rules. These are all lies. Lies that hinder us, lies that restrict us, lies that trip us up. And we need to have the truth, the truth of the Word of God at the center of our lives, wrapped around our waist, knowing it and at the forefront of our faith so that we will not be hindered or tripped up. Here's the second weapon of warfare, is the breastplate of righteousness. This verse 14 continues with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate was this tough, sleeveless piece of leather or heavy material that would be, would be placed to cover the full torso from, from the hips right through to the neck. And in battle, the soldiers, they were trained to strike for the torso, to strike for the center of, of the man, to be able to hit the most vital organs, which is the heart. The breastplate protects the most important organ of our body, which is the heart. And this is exactly where Satan aims to attack. He aims to attack the very core of our lives, the core of our faith. He aims to attack our heart by this, by poisoning our heart with his lies. For if he can poison our heart, he can poison our faith. And how he does this is he, he poisons our life with condemnation. And how we battle this is being equipped with the breastplate of righteousness. It's not standing and right standing by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. That means that it's not about what I do, but it's about what Christ has done for me. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Righteousness is only received through Jesus Christ. We see that Satan uses condemnation, which, which contaminates our heart and uses strategies like discouragement, 
lies, temptation, bitterness, shame, guilt. And he will do whatever it takes to compromise our conscience, to distract our devotion, contaminate our heart through condemnation. Using certain statements and thoughts and truths, uh, mistruths in our, in our minds, such as, call yourself a Christian? You never read the Bible. You, do you remember what you did last night? Do you remember the life that you've been living? Call yourself a Christian. Call yourself a believer. Do you remember the thoughts that you constantly have? The words that you use? How could you be used by God? How, how could God trust you when all you do is fail Him? He, he uses these lies to be able to place into our mind to restrict us and to remove us. How do we protect ourselves? It's not by standing on our own righteousness, but what we can do for ourselves, but standing on the righteousness of Christ by what He has done for us. Being able to say, you know what? You know what? I, I may be worthless, but my worth is not found in myself. My worth is found in Jesus Christ. I stand on His righteousness. Yet, do you know what? I mess up. I'm a failure at times. No one may be able to trust in me, but my trust and faith is in Jesus Christ. And my identity is found in Him. I believe that I am chosen, that I, and that I am cared for, that I am loved, that I am called for greater than what my past has been. And my calling and my future is greater than even what my cer current circumstances are. And that, and that I believe and I declare over my life the righteousness. I am clothed with the righteousness righteousness of Christ. This protects our heart from contamination and from condemnation. Here's a third weapon of warfare that Paul mentions in verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Amplified says it like this, having shod your feet, which is to put on the shoes, put on your shoes of peace in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. We see here again, going back to the illustration of these ancient soldiers, as they were getting ready to go into combat, they have their belt, they have their breastplate, they would put on their shoes, and on their shoes at the end of them would these be these long studs, so that when they stand in the ground and they're ready to fight, they'll be standing on firm feet. They'll be standing in stability. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, it is freedom for Christ has set us free. Stand firm. We hear this said over, over again, even in Ephesians 6. Stand. Stand your ground. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The enemy wants to knock us back. He wants to knock us off balance. He wants to mess up our peace. He wants to be able to set us and to fall back from freedom back into slavery. I love this quote. Our faith will not be measured by the mountains we move and the battles we win, but it will be measured by the mountains that didn't move us and the battles that didn't defeat us. It is talking about an unwavering faith. A firm faith. A faith that is firm-footed. That is, that is founded in peace. Rooted in peace. You know, one writer wrote this and commented on this scripture. That the choice of the word peace is a beautiful contrast to the raging of the outward conflict. You see, peace isn't about a removal of conflict. Peace is about a firm confidence found inwardly within our soul, even in the midst of conflict. 
It's not the removal of the battle, but it's the peace that God will protect you. The peace knowing that God is with me. The peace in knowing that I will find my strength in Him. And His strength will outweigh any spiritual attack I may face. His strength will outweigh any, any attack of the enemy. For he, Satan's power is limited. God's power is unlimited. You see, Satan, he can tempt you, but he can't touch you. Satan can be able to tell you what to think, but he can't determine what you do. Satan understands within us the power that's found in Jesus, the unlimited power, the supply and the strength that we have found in Jesus. So therefore, we must understand and find our peace, the power and the strength of Jesus within us. Here's the fourth weapon of warfare is the shield of faith. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We see here going again to the Roman soldiers. They would then have this shield that was two feet wide and four feet long. They would take this shield and it would be, they would wrap leather all around the shield and then they would soak the leather in water, as you can imagine, carrying this big shield that was soaked in water. But the reason why was because the enemy, the first thing that they would do is that they would set off a volley of flaming arrows. They would set the, and why they would set the arrow on, on fire was that if they could not hit the person, they could at least hit the shield and the shield would catch on fire. So when the, the arrows would come, the Roman soldier would lift up the shield and the water that was soaked in the leather would literally extinguish the flaming arrows. We see that Satan, he fires flaming arrows of accusation, of lies, of shame, of bitterness, of guilt, of discouraging thoughts. And he hopes that maybe one of them will, will be able to take form within you and begin to set a light. Maybe one of them, this one little thought that keeps just keeps you awake at night, one little thought that just keeps grinding away at you and slowly begins to burn. And what started off is just a small flicker of light begins to burn and burn until it's burning away at your soul. It's burning in your mind. It's burning and burning. And the shield of faith, we must be soaked in the washing of the world. The washing of the word where it extinguishes the fiery thoughts of the enemy. And when you're bombarded, as I am, bombarded on a daily basis, especially before I'm getting up to preach the word of God, bombarded, reminded of how, how all the things that I've done, the thoughts that I have, they're bombarded with that. How I am able to extinguish those thoughts is being able to be reminded of the word of God. What God says about me, the promises of God, being able to speak those things. Yes, I may hear that. That may even be true about me. But what Jesus says about me is that I'm forgiven, that I can be founded in freedom, that I can be set free. And that will not burn away in my mind and my soul, but I am forgiven and made pure and whole in Jesus. Not only that, but the shield of faith being protected by our faith being placed in Jesus, knowing that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but my faith is firmly founded in Jesus Christ. Here's the fifth weapon of warfare, which is the helmet of salvation. The helmet covers what? It covers your mind. 
covers your head. It protects your mind and your thought life. As Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Knowing that we are saved. Knowing that Jesus loves us and he's for us. It, it, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That our salvation is secure. That our salvation is complete. But here's the other end of it. Is that we need to take responsibility for what we allow into our mind. We need to take a responsibility for what we watch. What we listen to. What we engage with. What we surround ourselves with. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The NLT says it like this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The message translation says it like this, and I love it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. You know, as a Christian family, this time of year, uh, especially with our young family, you got two young boys, five and seven, as we're getting ready for Halloween, this always brings up certain questions about, you know, the mystical and spiritual and what's going on and everything that surrounds us and the culture of our day. And my boys love to test me by asking some of the most theological and philosophical and minded questions. And, you know, such a question is this. Why don't we just pray to God that the devil will come to know Jesus and become a Christian? You know, quite logical. <laughs> what, what a great way of thinking that, why don't we just do that? Or, or what about this? They throw at me the question, you know, why doesn't God just kill the devil now and get it over with? I ask the same question all the time. Or, or a question like, how did you and mommy make a baby? <laughs> That's one that throws me off course all of the time. But recently... It was this question, why don't we celebrate Halloween like everyone else? You know, we, we let our kids dress up, you know, as, as nice characters, nothing too scary or too ghoulish. We, we, we join in with the community by handing out and, and, and sharing, you know, all the sweets and doing all of that. But we don't celebrate with decorations. We restrict what the boys watch. We're very careful about what they allow into our home, making sure that it's nothing that will spread fear or, or anything that's too scary because you know, we want to protect their imagination. We don't want them being open to certain things. And so they ask the question, particularly this Halloween, why don't we celebrate Halloween like everyone else? And so as I have done before, but this time a little bit deeper, sharing with them about how the devil is real. That we face, yes, we have Jesus Christ, we are, we are saved, we are protected, but also we face an enemy. We believe that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, but at the same time, we need to protect ourselves by willingly allowing anything into our home and anything into our life. You know, the same is true for every single one of us, especially as Christians, as we face attacks, but especially as parents, as spouses, as, as adults, taking responsibility for what we willingly allow into our home, into our lives, into our hearts, and into our minds. By, by watching what we listen to, by what we watch, and the availability and the array of different entertainment, but always asking the question, is it beneficial? The conversations that we engage in, the amount of alcohol that we intake, 
the environment that we enter into, the thoughts that we allow run rampant in our minds to, to not willingly allow those things to be protected with the helmet of salvation. Instead, be open to the Holy Spirit by filling our life, our mind, our environment, by being filled in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit at all times, by being built up in the Word, by being fulfilled in, in prayer, and by experiencing true freedom and purity in Jesus Christ, by protecting our mind. And here's the final weapon, is through the sword of the Spirit. It says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word has been described as living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Here we see again the illustration that just as a Roman soldier would, would be able to have their sword in battle, that we would have the Word of God as a natural extension of our physical body. That the Word of God and my life are intertwined and interspersed. That where everywhere I go, I hold the Word of God in my heart. That every question that I'm asked, I will turn to the Word of God for answers. That every decision that I need to make, I will turn to the Word of God for answers. That I, that I will use this as my spiritual discernment. That I will use this as the wisdom that flows into my life. That I'm using this where the Word of God is so connected to me that I and the Word is one. As Jesus said when he's faced with temptation by Satan in the wilderness in his ministry, uh, before his ministry began, what's the three words he kept saying? It is written. That we will resist the devil and the attacks of the devil. That he will flee by the word of God. That through the, the word and the testament of our word and the blood of the lamb, that the devil will flee. As James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to be equipped in the word. We need to sharpen our knowledge and our understanding of the word. We need to know the world so that when we are experiencing an attack of the enemy... We can wield the greatest weapon that the Lord has given us. It's found in His Word. So that we can rely on His promises. That when we're feeling weak, we can find our strength in that. That we will be protected by the Word at all times. As I conclude, verse 18, Paul finishes with this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. One Scripture says, pray without ceasing, all the time, on all occasions, constantly in communication with God. And it says this, with this in mind, be alert. Guys, we need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to be open that, that the hardship and difficulty may not always be because I've done A, B, or C, but it can be because we are moving forward in our lives, both spiritually and physically, and we face an adversary, so therefore we need to be alert. Peter says it, be alert and sober of mind for the devil. He walks around as a lion is, is walking around to be able to, to jump on, to be able to devour its prey, and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Who is the Lord's people? It's the church. Keep praying for the church. Keep united with the church. Satan understands the power of the church united together. What he intends to do, 
is to attack the Christian and hinder the advancement of the church, to bring disunity into the Lord's people. Satan knows that the church is rising up to stamp out evil within this world. A people who are equipped and empowered with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the, the shoes of peace, with the shield of faith, with the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. We need to know that God is for us. And if He is for us, who can be against us? He is for us. He is with us. He is greater than any fear that we may have, any pain we may endure, any battle that we may face. Here's the truth. The Satan is powerless. Jesus is powerful. Satan is defeated. Jesus is victorious. Satan is defeated for Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He has overcome sin and death. Therefore, Satan is the defeated foe. The battle is already won. We are living out a victory that's found in Jesus Christ and we are no longer slaves to sin. But we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. So will you know that you can be ready, that you can be equipped, that you can be empowered, that you can be confident today. Put on the armor of God. Equip yourselves with the weapons of warfare so that your every day, Monday through Saturday and Sunday, you're equipped, that you're ready for battle. You need not fear. You need not be afraid. But you must be aware. You must be alert and ready, ready to win through the weapons that God has given you. Hey, as I finish, I just want to take an opportunity to allow you, if you have not already done so, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. It, it, it dwells within us. It, it empowers us. It fills us up with a boldness and a confidence that we can have through faith in Jesus. Not only do that, we receive that, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit that will protect our lives. And all we need to do is repent of our sin, confess of our wrongdoings, place our faith in Jesus, and live a life in relationship with Him. So if you're willing today, if you want this life, if you want this Lord and Savior of your life, join with me in prayer and just repeat these words with me, a very simple prayer, and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Today I choose to follow you, to believe in you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, we'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to connect with you. I'd love for you right now to go to openarms.ie forward slash connect and you'll see there a very simple form that you can fill out. Tick the relevant box. I'm new here. I'm committing my life to Jesus. You'll also see an opportunity to tick a box called Next Steps. Next Steps is a monthly class, a, a Zoom that happens with me and some of our, some of our team. And it's a 45-minute Zoom once a month on the first Wednesday of every month. And we get together and we just share stories. We hear your story. We share about our church and the vision and values and help get you plugged into the life of the church so that you're surrounded by the Lord's people, so that you're not going along in this life isolated, but you're together with people, united in Him, united in community. We'd love for you to do so. As we finish today in worship, let me pray for you. I pray may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name, amen.